Friends, if you would turn with me to our passage for study this evening, which is found in, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read the, the opening 13 verses of this, chap- this chapter of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll read from, from the first verse of this chapter. Hebrews chapter 12, we read from from verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Friends, we end our reading there at the end of verse 13. We pray that God will bless the reading of his word to our hearts and to our souls. Again, we'll turn to the passage which we read a short while ago in our our service from Hebrews chapter 12. It would be helpful if you have that passage open in front of you as we study for a short while just now the first three verses of that chapter, Hebrews 12, and we're looking at in particular this evening at the first three verses of this chapter. At times it's easy 
to lose heart, isn't it? Everything seems to be a battle. Family life, friends, work. It all seems to be an effort. Whatever it is, it it all seems to be going wrong and falling down all around us. You try to do your best, but it never seems to be enough. And nobody seems to care. All of us, I'm sure, have experienced disappointments and knockbacks in our lives. And there have been times, I'm sure, for many of us, when we've thought about just throwing in the towel and giving it up as a bad job. And it's exactly the same in our Christian lives, isn't it? We all go through periods in our walk with Christ, in our walk with God, when our faith just seems to be taking a constant battery. It's just one thing after another. And nothing comes easy. Prayer's a drudgery. Bible reading, well, it's a struggle. Temptations jump out at us from every direction. And, and Satan, he's always there, flaunting our feelings in our face. And he always seems to have the upper hand. Nothing comes easy. And we lose heart. And we start to think about giving it all up. as a bad job. One of the purposes of this letter to the Hebrews was to encourage people in just this situation. The Jews in the early church had had given up the faith in which they'd been brought up and they put their trust in Jesus Christ. Now they were facing persecution from the very people who days, weeks, months beforehand had been their nearest and dearest, their closest family members and friends. The people who they chatted to over the garden fence. The people who, they, who had welcomed them into their own homes for a cup of coffee. The people who they left their children with whenever they nipped down to the shops. These very people now loathed them, hated them, shunned them, treated them like scum. All because they had turned their back on the faith of their fathers and had put their faith in this blasphemer. Jesus Christ. They were loathed. They were hated. And if it were possible, the Romans, well, they treated the Jews, they treated the the, the Jewish Christians even worse. They were imprisoned. They were beaten. They were tortured. They were put to death. They were thrown to animals. They were set on fire. Because they put their faith in Christ. They were getting a constant. They were under constant pressure. To give it up. To throw in the towel. And go back to Judaism. Simply for the sake of an easy life. And the writer of Hebrews wrote this letter. To encourage these people. In their faith to exhort them not to give up. But to keep on going. Despite the persecution, despite the opposition, despite the hardship that they endured on a daily basis, they're to resist the temptation to give up, resist the temptation to turn back. They're to make strenuous efforts to persevere. He pleads with them not to fall back into the easy habits of Judaism, but to keep on going with a confident reliance on God. 
He says, don't turn back. Press on. Don't give up. Look at all you've been given. In chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, we have, we have just one, just one of the many exhortations which the writer makes to his discouraged readers. Read it again with me, friends. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy he set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And friends, it's this, these words of encouragement that I want to look at for a short time this evening. First thing we see is the race to be run. The race to be run. In these verses, the, the writer likens a Christian to an athlete competing in a race. He conjures up in his reader's minds a, the picture of a huge stadium and there in the middle of the stadium in the centre of a huge mass of spectators a race is being run and it wouldn't have been hard for the Greeks to to conjure up this image in their minds because they were sports fanatics they took their games extremely seriously they treated their champions with an almost godlike hero celebrity status pretty much like today the most important of their games was the games that took, took place in a town called Olympia and it's from those games that we get our modern day Olympic games. People flocked to those games to see the young men compete. And to those men who won, it brought them fame, it brought them riches. But to lose brought nothing but shame and, and disgrace. The course was, was marked out for the contestants and there, at the end of the course, a stage was erected and on the stage sat past champions and the judges, the umpires. There along the route stood the spectators, cheering, encouraging the runners along. We can picture the scene in our minds, can't we? It doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to conjure up the scene in our minds. Flick on your TV set on Saturday night, on Tuesday or Wednesday night to watch a Champions League match. You'll see huge stadiums packed with spectators cheering their teams along. That's the picture he's, he's conjuring up in our minds. And the writer says a Christian is running a race. Not a physical race. In which we're surrounded by sports fans, past champions, umpires. No. We're running a race of service to our Lord and to our Master. We're running a race of obedience to his commands and to his will. And friends, this race is no fun run. It's no gentle jog. It's a long, hard, exhausting, energy-sapping, all-consuming marathon. You know it. The word athlete has its roots in a Greek word, a verb, athluo, which means to take part in a contest or to suffer. And suffer those athletes did. 
Likewise, the Christian race, it involves much suffering. It wears us out. It uses up every ounce of our mental or physical or emotional strength. It drains us. It strains every muscle, doesn't it? The Bible doesn't depict the Christian life as a gentle jog, but a hard, demanding, uphill struggle. We face opposition. We're misunderstood. Day and daily we face the temptation of Satan who is looking for every opportunity to try and drag us down. Remember how Jesus himself described the Christian life? He said it was a life of self-denial, a life of loneliness, a life of cross-bearing. Look at the words that the writer uses in these verses. He says, run with perseverance. If you're reading the King James, the New King James Version, it says, run with endurance. The King James, it says, run with patience. Perseverance. Endurance. Patience. The Christian race is an obstacle course that we must battle every day. Before us lie difficulties and hardships. We face ridicule and laughter that requires much perseverance, doesn't it? On a daily basis. We face temptation after temptation that requires much perseverance and endurance. We face disappointments. We face trials. We face heartaches. But we're to run on with patience. It's a struggle. But we're to persevere. But friends, there are words of encouragement here for the Christian. Look how he describes the race. He says, let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Our race has been marked out. Someone has, has gone along the track before us, as it were, and has marked out the course Whenever marshals are preparing for road races or cycle races or, or long runs, you'll see them going out long before the competitors, the cyclists, the, the, the drivers have turned up, setting out warning arrows for, for upcoming hazards, for corners, for jumps, for, for sharp bends. They place warning arrows laying out the course. If you've ever been to Port Rush or Port Stewart in the Middle of May or June, you'll have seen those towns, Port Rush, Port Stewart, those roads completely converted into racetracks, advertising hoardings, security barriers, big warning arrows coming up for the, for the riders along the course. The course clearly marked out. Friends, in exactly the same way, someone has gone along before us and has marked out the track for us. God himself has planned our course. Every corner, every bump, every jump, every hole. He has gone along before us and has marked out a track for each and every one of his children. And he knows when we'll need him most. We don't need to worry about the difficulties that lie ahead of us tomorrow because God himself has led the track. There are no unforeseen potholes, as it were, in God's course. There are no hidden dips in his track. There is nothing in the track that surprises God. There is nothing there that he's not able to help us with. 
He will sustain us through every last obstacle right to the very finish line. Let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. The race to be run. But friends, we see secondly, the preparations to be made. The preparations to be made. An athlete has to put in an awful lot of work in order to run the race, prepare for race day. It's not just a matter of of turning up. It's not like primary school sports day where you turn up and you put on your shorts and and you get out of your tracksuit and put on your trainers. You, You crouch at the start line and you wait for the line to drop and then tear off. That's not how modern day Olympians prepare for the race day. No. They spend time nearly every day a week in the gym and on the track working on their technique, exercising their muscles, which they use in the sports, strengthening their heart, their lungs, their muscles, building their endurance and their stamina. They're out training no matter what the weather's like, wind and rain, hail and snow and frost. You name it, they're out there on the track. They're out there in the early mornings whenever the rest of us are still hugging our duvets to our chests. Their diets are carefully controlled to make sure they get all the right nutrients and and vitamins. They give up all those fatty foods and the sugary foods that we all so much enjoy. They make sure they get to bed nice and early, giving up nights out with their family and friends. Their whole life, their whole life, diet, routine, everything, dedicated to pursuit of the prize, winning the race. They give up anything that will keep them back from winning the race. Then comes the race day. The athletes, they walk out in the track and there at the side of the track they take off their, their running uh, track suit. They crouch at the start of the, tra- the, the race and they're, they're running short on, on their vests. They want to be able to run as, as freely as they possibly can. They want to carry as little excess weight down that track as they possibly can. They take off everything. Everything that will hinder them Anything that will keep them back from running the fastest possible race. And friends, it was exactly the same in in the Greek world. This is what the writer is getting at in this verse. The men in in Greece, they wore long robes right down to their ankles. I'm sure even the youngest of us have have run a sack race in school, haven't you? Your sports day, you've run a sack race. Well, that's what running in, in one of those long robes was like running. And it was like running in a sack your legs get all tangled up in the bottom of your robe and you, and you end up in your face. So they took their robes and they hitched them up into their belts. Some were, were so dedicated, so enthusiastic, they, they were so determined to, to run the best possible race, they took off their robes altogether and ran in their loincloths, their underpants. And some were even so determined to run as fast as they possibly they could to be as little hindrance as possible. Some Greek runners ran naked. So determined were they to put everything off that would keep them back. Their desire to win the race was so great that they took off anything that would prevent them from running the best possible race that day. And friends, the Christian is to do exactly the same. The writer says in verse 1, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
just as the runner takes off everything that will keep him back, anything that will harm his training, and so too the, the Christian's devotion to Christ and to God is to be so great that we're to get rid of anything, everything, that will prevent us from running the best possible race for Christ. Anything that will prevent you from honouring him, anything that is stopping you from giving your all for him, we're to get rid of it. And friends, the writer is saying two things here. He's saying there are things which hinder our Christian life, and there is sin which entangles it, and we're to get rid of both. There are things which, although not sinful, they may hinder our Christian life and prevent us from running the best possible race for him. There's nothing wrong with a desire to be popular. There's nothing wrong with a desire to be well liked. There's nothing wrong with a desire to get as far up the ladder and work as we possibly can. There's nothing wrong with a desire to try and earn as much as we possibly can and provide as much as we can for our family. There's nothing wrong with a whole lot of things. But the writer says if they are hindering your walk with God, if it hinders your Christian life, cut it out and likewise he says we're to be ruthless absolutely ruthless with the sin in our life those sins that we fall into time after time the pride the jealousy the anger the words that we've spoken the hatred in our hearts the lies the loose tongue you know what it is I know what it is in my life you know what it is in yours The writer says, whatever it is, whatever it is, we're to battle with it. We're to cut it out. We should be making strenuous, strenuous efforts to deal with the sin in our lives. We should be striving to overcome it. Our approach to the sin in our life should be radical. Just as the athlete cuts out all those foods which he knows will harm his performance, anything that will harm his training, so too we're to cut out anything. Anything that harms our walk with God. Whatever it is that entangles you. Whatever it is that ensnares you. He says get rid of it. Don't tolerate it. In any shape. Any form. Any fashion. Anything. Anything at all. Cut it out. Certain books. Certain TV programs. Stir up impure thoughts in our heads cause us to lust then we're to cut them out certain magazines cause us to be discontent with our lies and we see all that that other people have that we don't have to the point that we we covet others possessions and, and the lies of others the writer says cut them out get rid of them if we find that spending time with certain people is, is pulling us down, is holding us back if going to certain places is harming our walk with God he says cut it out Don't put up with it. Don't let it ensnare you. Cut it out. A runner wouldn't dream of setting off down the track with a huge weight strapped to his shoulders or holding a huge weight in his arms. Yet, how often a Christian is content to run the Christian life with a huge burden, with a huge weight of things which which hold us back and hinder us, which we're just not prepared to get rid of. 
Is something hindering your walk with God this evening? Is something ensnaring you and holding you back? Stopping you from growing in your Christian life? The writer says, whatever it is, whatever it is, cut it out. Throw it away. Devote yourselves completely to running the best possible race for Christ. The preparations to be made. We've seen the race to be run. The preparations to be made. Let's see thirdly and finally, friends, the encouragements to enjoy. The encouragements to enjoy. We've seen already the writer has been encouraging his readers to persevere. To run the race with patience. But how does he encourage us to keep on going? How does he encourage us to persevere? Well, firstly, he points us to to the crowd that surrounds us. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses. And the word therefore, I'm sure you know it refers back to the previous chapter, to chapter 11. Where the writer has set out a huge list of heroes of the faith. Men and women who had looked beyond their circumstances. Men and women who had looked beyond the trials that they were facing. Through eyes of faith. People who had focused on God. Instead of the situations in which they found themselves. There was Noah. Who although he had never seen one drop of rain in his lifetime. Built a massive ark in the middle of a desert. Undergoing taunts and laughter and ridicule. Of every last person in the world bar his family. Why did he do it? Because he had faith. He trusted God. There was Abraham. Left his homeland at God's command. Not even knowing where he was going. Just told to go. Because he was looking through the eyes of faith. His trust was in God. And friends, the list goes on. Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Samson, David, Samuel. People who won battles. People who shut lions' mouths. People who faced torture, jeers, beatings, prison, stonings, death. Because they trusted. They had faith in him. And the writer says just this evening, we are surrounded by these heroes of the faith. By a great crowd of these witnesses. And he's expanding on that picture that we saw at the start of of our sermon. That picture of the huge mass of spectators watching the race being run. He's having us imagine a huge stadium. And in this stadium are a huge crowd of, of witnesses, past Christians who have run the race before us. And he says, as you run, you're surrounded by this crowd of saints. This great mass of godly men and women. Stadium full to overflowing. Of these champions of the faith. But the writer isn't saying. He doesn't refer to these saints as witnesses. In the sense that that they're watching us run the race. They're not witnesses in the sense that they're they're observing us today. There's no great Velux window in heaven. Through which people are watching us. And cheering us on. That's not what he means by the word witness. The writer is referring to the word witness. In the sense that they bear testimony to us. They witness to us their lives speak to us and encourage us to keep on going and just as the spectators in the Greek games would cheer on the runners and encourage them along so too these heroes of the faith cheer us on they encourage us 
encourage us to keep on going. And as we look at their lives, Noah, Abraham, David, Samuel, as we look at their lives, we see those temptations that they face, the trials that they endure, the sufferings which God carried them through. Their lives bear witness to us of the faithfulness of God, don't they? As we see the power of God in their lives, what he carried them through, aren't we encouraged? Aren't we built up? Aren't we given the strength to carry on? Friends, think about Hudson Taylor, whose faith took him to China as a missionary, who relied solely on God for his provision in the midst of enormous trials and loss. Think of George Muller, who only through faith and, and prayer provided homes for thousands upon thousands of orphan children. Think of Jim Elliot, whose faith took him to the jungles of South America to take the gospel to those needy tribes and who died at the hands of the very people who he went to take the gospel to. David Livingstone, Gladys Aylward, Amy Carmichael, and the list goes on. I'm sure you have people in your own family. Do you not? Heroes of the faith to you. People in this fellowship. People in past churches that you've attended where you were brought up. Heroes to you. And as you think about their lives, don't they speak to you? Don't they encourage you to keep on going? Don't they? They speak to us and give us strength to face whatever trials lie before us. But friends, not only does he point to the crowd that surrounds us, he points in verses 2 and 3 to the greatest hero the greatest hero of the faith, God's own Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ. Look down again with me, friends, at verses 2 and 3. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. Fix our eyes on Jesus, he says. He says, look away from whatever it is that is filling your heart with worry and concern and fear. Look away from the troubles that you're facing this evening. Look away from the hardships and fix your eyes on Christ. Forget about the sweat. Forget about the heartache. Forget about the tears that he's asking you to endure this evening and look to the one who endured all the opposition that this world could possibly throw at him. God's own Son. Our Saviour Jesus Christ. Who reigned in heaven. Who received all the adoration. All the praise. That heaven could possibly throw at him. But he gave it up. At God's command. Who was born into this world of sin. And misery. Who lived the life of a despised man. Who endured loneliness. 
and isolation, who endured the hatred of his own countrymen, who endured the constant attacks of Satan, who was always on the receiving end of some sort of verbal or physical abuse, who was forsaken by even the closest of his friends, who endured the cruelty of a Roman execution, who died nailed to a cross for sins which he didn't even commit. And how did he endure it? He endured it sinlessly. Not even sinning once. He endured it with patience. He endured it with perseverance. And he did it sinlessly. And friends, why? Why did he suffer in this way? Why did, did Christ put himself through this most enduring of endurance races? For the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him. Through everything he endured. He had a goal in mind. What was that goal? He knew that his death would be providing salvation for his children. Those whom his father had given to him. He knew that in his life and death he'd be throwing open the doors of heaven. For all the children of God. He knew that he would be satisfying God's wrath and justice. By taking the punishment which his people deserved. That was the joy that was set before him. The joy of knowing that his perfect life and his atoning death. Would make salvation possible for those whom had been given to him. The joy of knowing that those who put their trust in him would be saved and would spend eternity with him, with him in heaven. He endured it all for his people. Friends, let me ask you, are you weary tonight? Are you weary? Are you in danger of losing heart? Then consider Christ. Consider Christ. He who ran the race with endurance. He who threw off everything that threatened to hinder and hold him back from perfect obedience. And look at what he endured on your behalf. Look at what he bought for us through his life and his death on the cross. As believers, our, our sins are forgiven. And whenever we cross the finishing line on this earth, we'll be welcomed in to an eternal home to enjoy unimaginable splendors for eternity. Friends, nothing that we endure in this lifetime will compare to what he endured on our behalf. And nothing that we endure in this lifetime will compare to what he has purchased for us. So friends, look to him. Seek to run with patience and endurance the trial set before you. Look at all we have been given and all we have yet to receive in him. And let us set our faces once more to run with endurance. The race set before us. No matter what obstacles he and his sovereignty sets in our way. Amen.
Dear Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words of encouragement and challenge this evening. We thank you for the reminder of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the reminder of what he endured on our behalf and the reason that he endured it, for the joy that was set before him, for the salvation that he would be providing for those whom you have given to him. Lord, help us in times of trouble and and trial, times of hardship to consider Christ and all that he endured for us as his children. And Lord, help us to, to persevere, to endure, to run with patience the race that you have marked out for us. Lord, may we be children who are eager to put off anything that hinders all that holds us back, to turn our back on the sin which which clings to us, which entangles and which draws us back and slows us down and prevents us from giving our all in our service for you. Make us men and women and, and young people eager to run the best possible race we can for our Saviour in the light of all that he has done and all that he has given for us. Heavenly Father, continue with us now as we end this year day, as we return tomorrow to the demands of home life and, and work life and all that, that that has in store for us. Give us a sense of your presence and all that you ask us to walk through. We ask these things in he who purchased this on our behalf, our Saviour, our Lord Jesus. Amen.